Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uptana, and today we'll be talking about why some people struggle to meditate and practical things which can be done to break through. One of the more common stumbling blocks to working with the Akashics is our general understanding of what it means to meditate. Most people come to think of this as stilling the body, getting into a relaxed state both physically and mentally, then quieting the mind in order to receive information. Unfortunately, while the description seems simple enough and is presented as simple, it's one of the most difficult forms of meditation to practice successfully and, for many, can become not only an insurmountable hurdle, but a negative experience, which feels like spiritual judgment. What most people don't realize is the deck is stacked against us. Our culture reveres and fosters a brain-driven life. Being smart, articulate, logical, charismatic, or a quick thinker are seen as virtues and benefits. The smarter you are, The more you take in, process, and manifest with the mind, the further ahead you'll get in the world. In fact, most manifesting methods are based on our highly developed brains, therefore reliant on our aligning our thoughts, willpower, and intentions to focus on our goals. We're told if we do this, our actions will automatically fall into lockstep with our thoughts and the universe will produce what we've intended. At the same time, being all in our head is a coping mechanism. When life is abusive in any or all aspects, our private thoughts can be a refuge. We can retreat into ourselves where nothing can reach us, or at least we can experience a moment of respite. On the other hand, we can learn to be hypervigilant, using our brain to process all of the actions motivations, emotions, and possibilities of everything around us in order to navigate them safely. These abilities can keep our minds constantly revving either with a retreat into safe spaces away from others or continuous problem solving, as if everything were a problem. In addition to this, our body can be a minefield. No matter at what age, when, or how much, if we experience abuse, trauma, danger, or harm in our lives, our body kicks in to try and save us. If you've ever been an offender bender, you'll have experienced this. The impact causes you to be startled or frightened or stunned. Then time seems to fade away. Everything seems in slow motion and yet very intimate and in focus, almost like tunnel vision. Our body acts to take care of things, like trading insurance information, checking to see what damage was done, taking pictures, calling the police, and so on. The mind seems fuzzy, disengaged, and even just hovering, watching it all. It's only after all the doing is done that time seems to turn back on. Then we get cold or shaky, and our mind races to put all the pieces back together and make meaning out of everything. This is the wisdom of the body helping us to survive. Time is a feature of the mind, and a hindrance when the tiger is running towards you. So the mind steps aside and lets the body do what needs to get done, and only sinks back up when it gets the all clear. But 
What if it never hears the all clear? What happens to all this information? The fear, actions, and trauma. With nowhere to go, it stays in the body. It's stored in the nerves and muscles and bones. It stacks up like literal junk in the trunk, waiting for the time when it can be unpacked, accepted, honored, and incorporated. This can make the body feel like a trap, like just another trauma waiting to happen. Quiet rest time can be a signal for things to start processing, emotions to come to the surface, memories to be retrieved. If we're not ready, aren't in a safe place in our lives, or simply don't want to revisit things long past and done, being anywhere but our nimble and active mind can seem like the worst idea. Plus, our culture teaches us our body is a mechanical thing, which, like a car, loses a significant amount of value the minute it leaves the lot and drives off on its own into the world. And from there, it's all downhill, with the warranty expiring, parts failing, damage from off-roading, accidents, and just plain wear and tear. We're expected to learn how to drive it in our early years and just get better as we go along. So when our body acts out, doesn't behave as commanded, won't bow to our demands, or just plain old refuses, we see this either as bad luck or a personal failure. We're never taught to have a relationship with our body, so we don't learn to listen to it, work with it, or trust it to support us physically, let alone in the other aspects of our life. All of which puts up stumbling blocks for people when it comes to the sit-still-and-clear-your-mind forms of meditation. Luckily, there are other means to reach a meditative state. The most readily accessible is movement. Instead of turning off the body to focus inward, this style of meditation uses the body to engage the part of the mind which interferes with the meditation process, thus allowing wisdom to flow. Movement meditation appears in various religions and spiritual traditions. The most famous is the whirling dervishes of Sufism, who spin and spin in order to open themselves to Allah. But it is seen in Hinduism in the form of yoga and the toning of mantras. It also appears in martial arts such as Tai Chi Chuan and other physical energy practices such as Qigong. Buddhism utilizes it as well in various ways such as walking meditation. All of these are meant to use the movement of the body in order to foster and support the meditative state. So instead of having the mind tell the body to be quiet, then working to get the mind to shut up, the body becomes active, and through its activity, it provides a safe space for the mind to stop problem-solving and unfold its full potential. In movement meditation, you choose a movement which is rhythmic, repetitive, and can be maintained without strenuous effort over a certain period of time, usually 30 to 60 minutes. Common examples are long walks in a park or neighborhood, hiking non-strenuously, washing dishes by hand, biking, jogging, swimming, knitting, hand quilting, and so on. In any chosen activity, the rhythm, like the rocking of a chair, is calming and soothing while the action requires the problem-solving logic functions of the brain to focus on the task at hand and keeps us from injury. These two factors set the conditions for the meditator to drop into what is commonly thought to be a daydreaming state. 
getting the mine from one state to another takes an average of 15 minutes. For most people, this transition will be an experience of what the Buddha describes as monkey mind, where the problem-solving aspect of the person's mind not only starts working through whatever is most pressing at the moment, but also seeks to take advantage of unscheduled thought time to consciously process bigger issues or pending emotional matters. However, these are usually chewed through to a resolution, dead end, or pause within 15 minutes, plus or minus. At the same time, the rhythm of the movement has created a relaxed state. Commonly, the transition from problem-solving into daydreaming has occurred when we move to investigating what-ifs, replaying conversations and social scenarios, even playing out what our life would be like in the future. We've been taught daydreams are just figments of our imagination, which exist only in the completely sealed-off safety of our minds. We're fascinated by stories which play on the question, but what if they weren't? This has become a long-lasting trope in fantasy and YA stories. Just think Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland, for example. The thing is, our daydreams do have reality as a means of communication. In childhood, we unlearn and forget this, and therefore come to think of our heads as closed systems. We think things only get out or in our head when we act to make it so. To see something, we must look. To express something, we must act. As an aside, this is one of the main reasons why subliminal messages are illegal in advertising. They play on our erroneous assumption we control what gets in, thereby getting messages in under the radar without our consent or acknowledgement. Now, this is not to say our being taught the notion of a closed mental system is wrong. It's not and in fact has a purpose. We're meant to focus on this life and not be distracted with extraneous things. In preparing for this embodied life, we agreed and even desired to have this brief respite from constant and instantaneous communication so we could explore ourselves fully with minimal disruption or negative consequences. So, thinking we're a closed system is a good thing. However, it's not really true. As we knew when we were children, our daydreams are a conversation between the embodied reality we're experiencing and the greater reality of the world beyond this microcosm. This is why some people will have what they consider serial daydreams, where the action seems to keep going on after they've returned to daily life. It's as if the daydream continues while they're away, and they're dropping in at a later point already in progress. More than likely, it is and they are. This is why deep and important truths about ourselves and the world around us seem to unfold from our daydreams. It's not all about our subconscious, if such a thing actually exists, but about an ongoing conversation happening only marginally in linear time. What I'm saying is daydreaming is an Akashic meditation. What you experience isn't all in your head any more than what is said in a conversation over dinner is completely controlled by you. If you want to check this out for yourself, next time you're daydreaming about something, try changing some random aspect. Try changing the setting, the flooring, the ceiling or the sky. Try changing what the people are wearing. You'll find you either can't, or the change is momentary and returns almost immediately to what it was before. So pick a rhythmic physical thing you can do for 30 to 60 minutes. Go ahead and do it for 15 minutes or so, 
long enough for your brain to get done processing all the to-dos and emotional stressors of the moment, long enough for the regular loops of this and that and, oh, I forgot, to be gone through. At that point, the point where the brain starts flowing from problem-solving into something looser and more freeform, is when you're ready to meditate. No need to stop moving. In fact, you need to keep going. Rhythmical, non-strenuous movement changes our biochemistry, putting off chemicals which are relaxing, comforting, and energizing. This creates the safe space we need to be able to meditate. At the same time, the movement requires we focus the problem-solving brain in order to keep us from falling down, being hit by random cars, or getting knocked in the head by a low-hanging branch. In other words, Our monkey mind doesn't need to be calmed because we've given it a job to do. As long as it's busy, it won't interfere. When you're ready to meditate, you can either walk yourself through a meditation of your choosing or have a guided journey queued up on the device of your choice. Keep moving and follow along. You'll find you have no problems doing both. In fact, this is something you already do on a regular basis. It's how you can have amazing insights in the shower and still get clean as if by magic and autopilot. Or why complex traffic situations make us realize we need to focus for a minute because we didn't need to focus before. Driving is a self-hypnosis meditative state in and of itself. So don't despair if seated stillness and mindfulness meditation don't work for you. There are many roads to meditation and your own two feet can show you the way. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can see all my other offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.